I really like the influencers that they share all of their life again. It's not just like, hey, I'm a fitness girl and I only show my fitness and you're gonna see sit-ups from me, but nothing else. When I follow someone, I wanna know more about them and their whole life, like your family stuff, or you know, if you like went to a cool restaurant or whatever, like I like seeing that where I feel like before it was so stay in your lane and now people are kind of opening more to different aspects of their life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where I see things changing a little bit. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Hello, world. Welcome back to the Social Complex Podcast. We have a great interview for you today. If you're someone interested in hearing what it's like to be a social media manager by trade, this is the episode for you. Maddie Leiden is a social media strategist with some incredible brand experience. She started her career in sales and pivoted into social media, never looking back. We discuss various times in social media history that have changed the game, including political elections, algorithms impacting the way people think and operate, data regulations, and also how the COVID-19 shutdown drastically changed the social media marketing world. We also get into influencers and how their profession as creators has evolved over the years, including the transparency of admitting hardships and finding boundaries in the content they create to keep their sanity afloat. You'll also get some insider information about what it's really like to work in social media, advice for those interested in getting into the space, and how brands can rethink the way they hire for social media teams. Let's get into it. Maddie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Hillary. I'm so excited. I know, me too. (laughs) So Maddie and I worked together Mm -hmm. back in the day, and we both have very common interest in working for brands in the land of social media. Mm -hmm. So I'm super excited to have you here today because I think that there's going to be some really interesting nuggets that we can pull out specifically around social media, you know, as a category and how people use it and operate within it. But before we get into that, let's go back. Tell us your life story. Awesome. Okay. So let me start in the year of 1992. Great year. (laughs) I was there too. (laughs) Um, No. So I um, am originally from the Chicago suburbs, um, made my way out to ASU. That's where, you know, I've since kind of settled down afterwards. But um, after college, I moved back to Chicago and I was working for an advertising agency in the city there called Ogilvy and Mather. And that's where I started my social career. So I initially started as a community manager for a couple of big CPG global brands. And um, really, you kind of like get the whole run of the mill there. You see everything. You're on the front lines when you're a community manager. And I think that was such a good way to start your career in that sense. And then I bounced around to a couple other different agencies in Seattle and then Phoenix. And that's where Hillary and I met. And since then, I've kind of been doing more digital marketing, but still have kind of my own freelance social media agency on the side. So it's been really fun to continue to see how everything grows and changes. And then also work with all different kinds of clients from, you know, your fortune 500 to small startups that are local and just kind of getting their start. What year did you start working in social media? Oh, um, I would say that was probably 2016. Cause when I graduated from school, my first job was doing cold calling sales for a trade show company. So I 
did that for a little bit. And then I had gone to the agency, um, and started working in social media. So yeah, that was kind of since then, I guess. That's a pivot. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I just found myself like looking on LinkedIn for people to call and thinking there's a better way to do this. And I love social media so much. And that's how I connect and like talk to people. Like I want to be able to grow my career in that space. Yeah. When you were getting involved, then that was uh, the weird year with elections. Yes. In social yes. media elections. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was a fun time. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just so interesting to see how politics in general have like really unraveled throughout, I mean, the last couple of years, but also on social media. Cause there's, that's how so many people see everything and get their information and, you know, should brands say something or acknowledge it or not. And you're kind of like making it the plane as you go in that sense. That was probably the most interesting point in time for me was like 2016, just seeing how divided everyone was because everyone's like newsfeed looked different and no one, people didn't really fully understand that the algorithm and the idea of the algorithm was out there, but people weren't critically thinking saying, Oh, I'm like living in my own echo chamber of people agreeing with me Mm -hmm. because that's what is curated in my feed. Right. When in reality, everyone was so shocked that Trump won. They're like, how did that happen? There's no way. Like, it was clearly going to be Hillary Clinton. And then yes. it's like, but your your feed looks so different from the person next to you. Right. Or down the road. And it's like, I mean, even I was shocked. I was like, there's no way. Oh, and- yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember vividly, like... At the time I was living in Chicago and I was taking classes at Second City and after class we had gone to the bar and we were just like, yeah, we're going to cheers to Hillary. We're going to watch, you know, the, the, the results of the election. And just like hour by hour, things were changing and we're all like, how is this happening? And it was very much, yeah, you're in your own little bubble. You kind of are around people that are very like-minded. Um, but then, you know, for family and friends that may be a little bit more Republican leaning, they probably had a whole different experience. They're like, oh yeah, you know, we knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Saw this coming from yes. a mile away. The silent majority as they right. called them. <laughs> I know. That was, that was a really interesting time with social. And then looking back to, you know, when you were getting involved, what were the platforms that you were using most often for brands? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I remember uh, like Facebook obviously being number one, being huge. Instagram was like kind of just starting, but it was all organic. Twitter was like here and there. I mean, we were posting a lot more just kind of like to be there. And then Pinterest was also really big for some of the brands that I was working on, kind of the CPG, like cleaning and household appliances kind of thing. What do you think has changed the most in the last, what is that, seven years? No, six years. Yeah. The first word that comes to mind is like creativity and not in the sense of the actual creative that you're seeing, right? Like not the graphics and stuff, but just, you know, influencers weren't really big then. They were just kind of starting, you know, now that's like a huge platform and a huge avenue for where people see and discover a lot of things. I think another thing is video. I mean, that's something that before it was just, yeah, like post a picture and it's fine and maybe a little like GIF or something like that. But now everything is so video focused because it tells much more of a story. It captures the attention. It stands out in the feed. I remember actually going back now, one of the platforms that we were working on was the Google platform. Oh, which, what was that called? I totally Google forget. Google my business. No, this was the social aspect of oh, Google. Oh gosh, wait, what was it called? Google plus. Oh gosh. <laughs> 
And I just remember like no one was seeing anything on there, but again, it was just, we have to put it there because it exists. <laughs> Which is crazy because Google's search is so vast. Mm-hmm. You would imagine that they would have been able to put a lot of emphasis and a lot of priority on their own social platform. I still think Google business is like a very clunky tool to yeah. use. It is really hard to find things. Yeah. And to figure out how to configure it. I'm like, why is this so complicated when it should be so easy? It's, yeah, it should be the easiest thing. And it just makes it easy for like not only users, but then also for like the businesses themselves. <laughs> Do you think that there's going to be another search platform that's going to come into the ring and be able to really make a dent? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think search is different than like social because A, you're just using it for different reasons, right? But B, it's like they already have such a robust database of like everything you could need and like all the sites and, you know, everything is tailored to you when you're kind of going through there. And it's just like when you're looking for something, oh, Google it. You know, it's very Mm -hmm. hard to kind of switch that like Bing, you know, Microsoft Bing, nobody uses that. Yeah. Yeah. Yahoo even. I think people use that more maybe for like sports and like the, you know, uh, fantasy and that kind of stuff. But like, Mm -hmm. I don't know a ton of people that use Yahoo either. So for a new player in search to come in, I mean, my initial thought is like, maybe it would have to do with something with like accessibility of being able to find like images or videos and that kind of thing. But Google offers that too, right? They have the reverse lookup. So I don't know. I think it would be hard to kind of have someone else just jump in there. I think it'd be hard, but I think it'd be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, DuckDuckGo is the one that's popular among, you know, the crowd that's like, I want to not have any type of algorithm tailored towards. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. DuckDuckGo (laughs) is like completely anonymous search. So it's, you don't get tracked. You don't have cookies. Uh Like there's nothing you're not getting served something yes. personalized to you. Right. Which I think that search and social are like cousins. Yes. And they work in tandem with each other, but they are very different worlds. I would be really curious to see another player come in though with search and really take it to the next level. I think the reason DuckDuckGo probably hasn't done super well is because even though people, especially in like 2017, it was right 2017, 2018, when Cambridge Analytica, yes, uh-huh. is that what they were called? Yes. When that whole debacle happened mm-hmm. and everyone's like losing their noodles and they're like, oh my gosh, they have my data. And every digital marketer is like, uh, yeah, Obviously. duh. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that you like everything in your feed? Because we're giving you things that you like. <laughs> yeah. Every, but everyone like lost their noodles. And I was, I remember being in a position where I was like, oh, I guess that is kind of strange when you think about it. Yeah. But as a marketer, I can't see who I'm reaching. I just know that I'm reaching you based off of your interests and what is within the algorithmic makeup Mm -hmm. of the data that you've shared and, you know, used and created with these different platforms. And when I like realized, I was like, oh, yeah, that is kind of crazy that all of the political ads didn't have any type of gatekeeping. Yeah. There was no disclaimer. There was no fact checking. And it was like the merging of data privacy and information like being shared. Yeah. Like personalization. Like I think to me on that point, like for me as a user, it's like, yeah, but if when I search something or when I see something on social, like I do want it to be tailored to me. Like I don't want to see 
you know, men's shaving kits because I'm a single woman and I have no need for that right now. Yeah. But, you know, if I have, um, I don't know, recently traveled somewhere or have been like recently searching for, you know, um, new gym shoes, then like, yeah, when I see a gym shoe ad in my feed, like that's welcomed because I'm like, okay, cool. Like I've kind of been looking at these and it makes it easier to purchase, um, which maybe I'm very biased because <laughs> that's just like an ideal consumer journey. But it's easier for you when that happens. Whereas like if everyone just saw plain Jane Google, then if I'm looking up for like, you know, dinner recommendations, I'm not going to see what's in Phoenix. I might see what's in New York because it's the biggest foodie city. That's not going to help me. Then I have to get a lot more um, specific with what I'm searching. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very interesting dynamic. I think in 2017, 2018, when that was really coming to a head and taking over a lot of the news cycle. Uh I think that it was really top of mind. And then all of like GDPR. Yes. GDPR. Mm -hmm. Like what is the acronym when GDPR happened and all everybody's like all of a sudden having to accept cookies on every single website that they're on. And there's all these regulations and privacy, which I think is really great. And I'd be curious to see the research on this Uh because I don't actually have any type of data backing this perspective, (laughs) but I feel like people are kind of like, okay, as long as I can opt into something, yes. I'm fine with it. Yes. So at the end of the day, it wasn't really about data being used. It was data being used without their the consent permission. and like their full understanding. Yeah. Because that's kind of the same thing now with apps and Google or um, Apple. Yeah. So it's like I, for them to track me and where I'm going, you know, you have to opt in. Like when, if I'm using my Fitbit or if I'm, yeah, using my Google map or something like that, I do want them to know where I'm at. So that way it's easier. But then for things like my Pinterest or something or, um, my chase bank account, you don't need to where I'm at. So like, you don't yeah. need that permission. Yeah. That is interesting. And I feel like now that people were on, you know, 2022 we're past that initial shock factor. I think people are getting back to what you were saying, which is I don't want content that's not tailored to me yes. to be on my feed and clog it up. Uh-huh. Another feature that's come out recently is the productivity trackers mm-hmm. on phones. How do you feel about that? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say as someone who works in social, it's, you know, you see those numbers and they're not great. <laughs> you really sometimes see like you know, your time on screen or your, you know, what, how you're tracking week over week. And sometimes it, you're like, oh shoot, I've spent that much time on my phone. I'm literally over seven hours every yeah, week. Yeah. It's, it sucks. And it's like thinking about it, grand picture, what could I have been doing with those seven hours of my time? Like if I learned a language for seven hours every week, I'd be like fluent, you know, by the end of the year. It's <laughs> but, but also, I mean, it is such a way of how you communicate. And for me, you know, I, have friends in a bunch of different cities since I moved around and that's how I keep in touch with them. I also, you know, work with my clients and not, I mean, I'm out on my own socials, but I'm also on their socials a lot to look up trends and to look up different sounds on Instagram and scrolling through and engaging with people. So it also helps to kind of like serve your business in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's where it's such like a double-edged sword for social right now, because people may be from a user experience, a little bit more exhausted by it, or maybe you're using it a different way than you did like even pre COVID. Mm -hmm. But I think that 
there is so much good that comes from it too, because you reach so many people, you can like share your ideas and you can like build actual connections that way. Like I have real Twitter friends. I have like real Instagram friends and it's kind of funny, you know, being in your thirties and saying that. Cause I feel like it's such a like tween thing on aim. Like, Oh, I met someone in chat room, but like, no, I still <laughs> meet people that way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you get to know people from common interests mm-hmm. and there's a lot more of, I think community factor, like Facebook. The only reason I would use it personally anymore is for Facebook groups. Yeah. Like that's it. I have a few groups that I'm in that I'm like, Oh, I get some good information. I learned something new, might see someone that, you know, we could be friends, but like, that's about it. Yeah. I'm not really on it anymore. Facebook, I just see like literally all my cousins and their babies and my aunts commenting on their pictures. (laughs) And you're like, cool, this was really enlightening. I'm like, great. This is like a Christmas card, but every month. (laughs) (laughs) So when you think about it from a user perspective, Mm -hmm. the mass population of people that are getting those productivity notifications Uh on their phone, they are not, you know, in it as far as a career goes, but they're just the users and the consumers. Do you think that that notification and that awareness around digital is going to change how people are using social media? Interesting. Um, Yeah, I think so. Because I think, you know, even for myself on my personal, I'll put like a 15 or 20 minute, you know, um, notification while I've been on Instagram each day. And if I'm like doing something or if I'm, you know, doing something for work, then I'll opt out and just continue going. But I mean, if it's something that I'm like on there late at night, then I'm like, okay, shoot, I'm going to start reading or I'm going to do something else. So I, I do think it's starting to kind of shift the way that we see it. Cause I think there was so much FOMO of, well, I want to see what's on. So like, I, I, you almost kind of have to go to go through stories and there are always new ones there. And it's kind of that, um, instant gratification, right. Of like new content and I want to see it and I don't know what it is, but when you have those productivity kind of reminders, then you're like, okay, well, maybe I need to take myself out of what's happening on my phone and actually focus on what's happening in real life. Mm -hmm. So I think it, I mean, again, I don't, I'd have to look up trends and stuff, but I do think that people will be more likely to kind of log off or just even prioritize their time throughout the week and not have the doom scroll at the end of the night for an hour. Maybe it's, you know, maybe an hour one night, but then for the rest of the week, maybe it's only the 15 minutes. Yeah. I think that there's like definitely something there as far as people getting more awareness around how they're spending their time. And I, again, don't have any data around this, more of just what I've seen and what I've noticed is an uptick of people saying that they need a break. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there is too much information out oh, there. Oh, yes. Well, even on TikTok, I freaking love TikTok, let me tell you. But they have those videos in your feed that say, Hey, looks like you've been scrolling for a minute. Maybe you should do something different. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure it's something that they initiated because they knew people were spending so much time on the app. Mm -hmm. But when you see something like that, it is a reminder, like, okay, maybe I need to be doing something else. (laughs) I feel like that's a much more responsible way for them to take ownership of how their users are using. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's still very native in that way because it shows up as a video instead of like a just notification box on your screen. Yeah. That's super interesting. I love that they do that. Yeah. Every time I hit it, I feel really embarrassed (laughs) and I keep scrolling. I know exactly. (laughs) Or they're like, Hey, do you want to stop? I'm like, no, I'm still going. Like I still need my, my giggles for the day. (laughs) It's like Netflix too. Netflix does that. Yeah. Are you still watching? And I'm like, yeah, Netflix I am. But then there's sometimes where I'm like, you know what? 
I was off doing something else and now I'm just going to finish doing that instead of like sitting and watching on this couch. So thinking about social media usage in the future and knowing that the trends of people being more aware about their time and their productivity and what they're doing, even from, you know, mental health breaks or needing a break from the information overload, where do you see social media evolving over the next 10 years? Well, I think it's also kind of interesting because it's a loaded question because I think, you know, for how my parents might use social media in the next 10 years, it's probably going to be the same. I don't see them like, I mean, my mom loves TikTok too, but <laughs> like I, she's not like posting Love on it. For Deb. Yeah, exactly. Deb loves a TikTok. But I think that, I mean, much like TikTok became so big for Gen Z and it's Vine-like, it's very short content. It's random content. Some things are very funny. Some things are very serious. They have live content on there. I think the next generation of that will kind of build upon it, but then bring their own spin to it. So something that I might kind of, I don't know, not recommend, but forecast would be that maybe people are not so into like the super, you know, polished feed and like influencers were such this like perfect kind of figure that everyone wanted to be and wanted everything that they had, but people are much more sharing their struggles. I mean, at least what I see on TikTok, like I had a really bad day or I'm, you know, going through this and this is my journey and day by day I'm showing you what's happening. So I think it's more of that. I mean, authentic is such a buzzword, but it's more of real life stuff mm -hmm. and real life struggles that are being shared rather than just the highlights. So maybe that's what we'll start seeing a little bit more instead of like, Hey, I'm posting, you know, about my birthday and every photo that I look good. It's like, Hey, this is almost like a daily scrapbook of what I'm going through in the moment. And yeah. back to Zanga days of like the good and the bad. And mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it'll be more used that way. I think that'd be awesome. I love that you brought up influencer culture because I think that that was a very interesting time in mm -hmm. social media past where you did have that curation so heavily on the feed and everybody had the orange filters. Mm -hmm. Like bright, oh my gosh. white, yes. orange. Yes. Everyone looked the same. Every uh, Yeah, every post. It's like if it didn't have the specific person that you were looking at, you're like, oh, this could be from anybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But those posts were all engaging really well. So everyone was doing it that way. <sighs> influencers. How are you feeling about influencers these days? You know, I really like the influencers that they share all of their life again. It's not just like, Hey, I'm a fitness girl. And like, I only show my fitness and you're going to see sit-ups from me, but nothing else. Like when I follow someone, I want to know like more about them and their mm -hmm. whole life, like your family stuff. Or, you know, if you like went to a cool restaurant or whatever. Like I like seeing that where I feel like before it was so, um, stay in your lane. And now people are kind of opening more to different aspects of their life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where I see things changing a little bit. However, I think influencer is such an interesting term because for so long it was based on follower count and how many people are following you and how much just clout you had in that way. And now, I mean, we've shifted more to these micro influencers who are like, yeah, I mean, they're more trusted because they're more realistic and they're more authentic again, but it's what people want to see because they share more of that stuff. Yeah. It feels like more of a friendship than a pie in the sky kind of person. Yeah. And most of the time it's like, you do have someone in common with that. Like there's a couple local influencers that I follow in Phoenix and I've either like DM'd them before or asked them about stuff and they get back to me because- mm -hmm. 
they know what I'm talking about. And it's a smaller scale. Whereas I'm not going to be like, Hey, Kylie Jenner, where's your favorite restaurant to go to in LA? Like she's yeah. never going to see that. Yeah. She wants me to buy like toothbrushes or whatever. She's like, you know, touting at the moment. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Influencers. I agree. I think that it's definitely taken a little bit of a shift as far as more of the small scale influencers being better powerhouses for brands. Mm-hmm. I, do not envy influencers. I think that their job is so hard. Mm-hmm. They need to get more credit for yes. how much work it is to still show up and create content, even when you're feeling exhausted. Oh yeah. I really think that influencers don't get enough credit and they're like, Oh, well you're just uh, tweeting. You're just showing off your day. Aren't you? And you're like, no, like mm-hmm. it goes so much deeper than that. Well, that's super interesting because I think that, and something we've talked about before is like, you know, as a social media marketer, you are on it all the time, but a lot of the times your own personal feed is not as like, you don't put as much time and effort into that. Cause that's supposed to be fun and it's your own and there's no pressure with it. Whereas your brand feeds, like you put a lot of time and effort into where when you're an influencer, it's both of those things. So you have to share the good and the bad. You have to, you know, make sure your content's performing and it's also about your personal life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you may be going through in the moment, maybe, you know, you're having a tough time in a relationship or you're moving or you're just not feeling so hot, but you mm-hmm. still have like these contracts that you have to turn around and, you know, things that you have to push, like you have to find a way to continue to go through it. So I think it's, they don't have as much grace with, I don't know, being able to, um, have a little like privacy, I guess, in a way, yeah. or just be able to like change their direction as much. 2020 was a hard year for influencers. Oh yeah. I mean, the world shut down. Yeah. <laughs> so not only were we not seeing, you know, people going to work and not knowing what's going to happen in the next six months and not, I mean, working on the agency side, things were very kind of up in the air for our clients of, do we have live events or, you know, how are things going within, you know, production and how does that affect what we can sell or what we can say? And nobody really knew what was going on. So it's a hard time to kind of like navigate it and be the one to be like, Hey, this is what we should all be doing. Or, Hey, you know, these are my favorite things at the time because I mean, (laughs) there were so many other things happening and so many other, like, yeah, like you said, messages that needed to be heard or just things that were more important at the end of the day, I guess. And that's hard too, because, you know, when you're going through something back to, you know, COVID in general, and everybody's experience was so different. Mm-hmm. You had people that were completely uprooted from their lives, from, you know, their, when they were kids in school, and yeah. school was their safe space, and now they're not in their safe space. Mm-hmm. You had people that were really sick or had family members that were mm-hmm. really sick. And then you had average Joes that were just chilling at home Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what to do and how to entertain themselves. And everybody had different things going on at that time. Yeah. COVID or not COVID related. So that must've been so draining to be having to keep some type of connection to the world when you're feeling like there's, I I almost feel like there was a constant comparison Mm -hmm. of like, well, people, someone has it harder than I do. So I don't want to be complaining. Yeah. And I, I mean, I still think I make this 
like example for myself all the time. I have a couple of good, really good friends who work in like the ER, you know, they are life or death actually every day. And for me working in like corporate America or, you know, agencies, it's like, Oh, you get it. Like some sassy emails that could ruin your day. But those are like very, you know, different experiences on different levels, yeah. but it's relative to what you're going through in the moment or what you're background is or whatever it might be. It was just everyone going through it from frontline workers to, yeah, being at home. And I mean, I'm someone who's very social and I love going out and seeing friends and going to happy hour and connecting and visiting. But then when you're stuck at home, you have to like figure out how you're continuing that kind of cup that you need to fill, Mm -hmm. but then making it either on social or digital and doing like Zoom happy hours and things like that, where you're hoping that it kind of, you're still with the same people in a sense, but it's a very different experience. You're getting very different, um, I guess, results from it. Yeah. That was so weird. (laughs) Yeah. It still feels kind of weird sometimes. And I mean, now we're kind of at the point where we're still navigating of, okay, some people are going back. Some people love working from home. Mm -hmm. Some people want to get like me. I need to get out of my house because otherwise I can't focus on, you know, the task at hand went by dog and laundry or whatever's happening. Um, and so it's like, yeah, how do you kind of continue to navigate like what the real world or what your perfect world looks like? Yeah. Do you feel like you were more or less connected to social media during that time? I think at the beginning of COVID, like, you know, in March, April, May, definitely more like that was my outlet to, share things and see what people were doing and just like keep myself entertained. And I remember like doing a lot of like Instagram stories and just like talking to the camera even that I don't necessarily do all the time, but it was like, yeah, this is how I need to like connect with my peers. Cause I'm not getting that FaceTime in the office or, you know, can't run out and do those kind of things. Then I think for me and some people I know, it's like, you kind of hit a lull cause it's like, okay, now everything is a screen. Every interaction is you know, a call, a zoom or whatever. And it's just too much. You're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And now what I'm experiencing is kind of like on the other side of it. Now I'm like, okay, Arizona, we're kind of been open, we're doing things, but now everyone's like so excited to do everything that you're like, great, let's all plan a trip everywhere. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's like, okay, I'm going to post about it. And now it's sometimes like a little overwhelming because you're trying to catch up for lost time. Yeah. <laughs> and what a weird time too to be late twenties, early thirties going through this. It's like, this is kind of prime time to do activities mm-hmm. and like a lot of, you know, childless millennial life <laughs> where it's like, you should be able to go do all these like crazy things. And you were just on lockdown for however many months, mm-hmm. depending on what state you were in. Texas <laughs> is like Arizona. We were, we were pretty open pretty yeah. early. Um, but then I have friends in Chicago where it's like still pretty closed. Same with California. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And like San Francisco. So everyone's had such a different experience that I think before, you know, you were kind of able to like group it by age or group it by, you know, what people do for work or where they live. And now it's just, everyone's kind of running at their own speed, I think. Yeah. How do you think that that's impacted how people are using, their online profiles? Do you think that they have become more dependent on them or less dependent or just about the same? Oh, I think again, it's a kind of cyclical, at least what I saw is like people were very dependent on them at the beginning. Cause there was so much less interaction. I think now from what I'm kind of seeing, 
is that people are a little bit less dependent on it because I think there has been that exhaustion with the screen time and everything where now people are like, okay, I just want to go out and be in the world. But I still think, I mean, that's a small group of people. I think there are still a lot of people who are working from home and are still very virtual for the most part or changed careers. So they could be from home or, Mm -hmm. you know, have had kids during the pandemic and their whole life has changed. And now they have to do a lot more stuff remote or smaller um, kind of circumstances. So I don't know. It's it's hard to say. <laughs> I think something that happened too in the pandemic was that people got more honest with yes. each other, especially in the corporate setting. Mm-hmm. I think that like historically I've been a little less inclined to like share my personal life with clients or with colleagues. Like it was pretty surface level of like, here's the happy stuff, yes, you know? Right. And now I think it's a lot more like, oh yeah, my dog just threw up on this Zoom call and <laughs> right. I'm going to clean it up I've really fast. I've literally had that sentence before. Like, and I'm like, Ugh. no one, <laughs> like barriers have been broken down so much just based off of virtual office that I think that it's allowed people to be more personable in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. myself included. And I think there's, you know, I, that was something that I always navigated in the professional setting, which is, especially being young, I was really trying to put my best foot forward in a lot of ways mm-hmm. as far as not, you know, not coming off as too young or irresponsible or, right. you know, anything like that. Now I'm like, no, I, I, I can have a good time. Yeah. Like, I can throw down, <laughs> <laughs> but I am also really good at my job. So we're good. We're exactly. Fine. Exactly. It's a nice balance, but I wonder if that is related to people doing more of the photo dumps now. Yeah. And being more fully open, less curated with their lives. Yeah. I, th- I definitely think so. Cause I think people are like, this is where I'm at in the moment. And that's kind of where I go back to that. Like, I mean, like digital scrapbook almost like I see the way that I and my peers use social is very different than my youngest brother. He just turned 21, like, and seeing his friends, they, I mean, they are a lot more raw and honest and they were the kids of Finsta, right? They, yeah. they had a second account where they said everything and they just would like really talk about real shit days they had and things like that. Um, so I think it's so interesting because that generation has been really kind of changing the ways that they use social and how they're interacting with people where I think sometimes on the older skewing audience, it is still kind of like the highlights of, Oh, Hey, this is a trip we did. And this is some fun I'm having and that kind of thing. Um, but then I think the other thing I'll add to that too, is like for Instagram, when they introduced close friends, That is something that's huge too. Um, Bless you, by the way. (laughs) Um, When Instagram introduced close friends, that was something that was huge too, because like, I know for me, you know, I'm in the dating world. Okay. I'm a single girl, but I spill all my tea on my close friends. And I'd be like, this is what happened. This is what's going on. Or like, oh my gosh, I'm about to go on a date. Can't wait. Or, you know, whatever. Like I just, I, I share that with them and it's such a safe place for me. Whereas that's not something I would necessarily, um, project onto my whole, you know, follower account. Although maybe I would get more followers that way because I'd be like, Maddie is crazy and let's hear what she has to say. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Um, I think that's really changed the way that people use social too, because you now are able to kind of fixate on who sees what. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest difference between, because essentially an influencer is the person that's going to be sharing that, Uh but not on close friends. Uh Uh-huh. Like everyone is their close friend at that point. What do you think is the big difference between people 
making that leap into sharing that more publicly. Cause for me, I'm like, Oh, that feels so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like to be able to put that stuff out in the world that it's like, and also part of me is like, I like my privacy. Yeah. (laughs) So those are two factors for me, but from your perspective. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it has to go with privacy and it has to go with like, who is your intended audience? You know, for some of the stuff I put on my close friends, like it's not something I would necessarily share with my coworkers that might follow me or, um, some people that I know from high school that I've never talked to again, that maybe I still follow or, you know, someone I met once at a festival, they don't necessarily need to see some of those other parts of my life because I mean, we're not that close. Yeah. Whereas people that, you know, I feel like I have a really good connection with and I want to share those things in my experience or ask questions or get insights. That's where I'm kind of welcoming that feedback and welcoming that engagement because I want to hear from them specifically. I don't need someone to troll me on, you know, what I did or didn't do that I don't know about, but someone who might have like a lot of context as to who I am and what I'm talking about, then it's like, yeah, of course I want your opinion. I want your feedback. So you think that there's the nice fine balance between having a social media community that's much more tight knit in a yes. safe space and being yes. able to craft and curate that. Yes. Well, not curate, but you curate your list of who yeah. you share stuff with. And then simultaneously still being able to have that broader access where you can still have that next degree network of friends right, and people that you stay in touch with. Uh-huh. That's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves. Mm-hmm. Cause I do think it's getting a little bit tighter. Like it feels like it's getting smaller and more niche in a lot of ways mm-hmm. for how people are using social. Yes. Huh? Very curious. <laughs> so what, is, how does that impact brands? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that for brands, it's important to understand like these behaviors that are happening because that will either help them like you know, show up in the right spaces or stay away from the wrong spaces. Um, I've seen brands use things like close friends in the past for like a very small kind of like pop event that may happen. So that's just for like, they're really, you know, tried and true OG number one fans that they want to show appreciation for. Um, but then, I mean, I think in terms of like transparency, there's some things that we've seen where brands are kind of sharing like, yeah, this bad thing happened and we're working to resolve it. Like, do you remember that, um, uh, cinnamon toast crunch with the shrimp in it? Oh yeah. <laughs> shrimp gate. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> we are like, that was like went crazy and it was very much like a customer service kind of thing that was just handled in a wacky way. And then, you know, they had to show up for it on other platforms and be like, Hey, this weird thing happened. We don't really know what's going on, but we're going to make it right. And we're going to figure it out. And, you know, we don't have shrimp in our facility, but you know, we gotta, we gotta figure this out for anyone who doesn't know what shrimp gate was. Give it a little context. Okay. Um, gosh, I'm going to try to, you might have to jump in here. Cause it's like, I don't even remember as much, but, um, the husband of Topanga Lawrence from Boy Meets World, they're in real life. He was the one who he had uh, uh, Cinnamon's Toast Crunch, opened it up, and apparently there were like <laughs> sugar and cinnamon shrimp tails in his cereal. And then he had posted it on social. I don't know if it was like Twitter or Instagram, or I think it was Twitter originally. And then they had um, replied back with like, 
we're so sorry. Can you send us a message? Or like, oh, just kidding. We don't have shrimp in our facility. And then it kind of all unraveled from there. Like, I don't yeah. remember the rest of it, but. I think they were denying it a little bit. Yeah. Like they were, they were trying to cover their ass a little bit. Yes. Which Maddie, what's, what, what would be the right response for that? <laughs> Um, let's take it to DM, you know, let's, <laughs> Hey, Hey, this doesn't look right. Send us a DM so we can find out more. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's divert to the DMs yes. ASAP yes. so that we don't, uh, and then we're going to take full faults yes. every and time. We are so sorry. Every Let us time. make it right. Let us send you some coupons, whatever. Like, yeah, that's just, <laughs> someone had to have lost their job over that. Oh Cause yeah. it blew up. Yeah. I mean, it, but then you also have to think about, that probably went through a lot of approvals too, to have some of those responses to be like, Hey, I'm a community manager. This is what I'm seeing. Let me flag it to the brand manager and see what they say. Okay. Now that they're in, involved, like they already know what's happening. They're helping craft this message. Like I would expect it to be the brand manager's fault. At that yeah. Uh huh. Like, I don't know who to blame, but yeah, from our experience, I'd probably say it was the yes. manager's fault. Yes. <laughs> Oi. Oi <laughs> Just is like, right. yeah, your, your worst nightmare as a community manager is waking up to like, you know, a hundred thousand notifications and be like, Oh God, something happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So, but I would agree with you that I think that that has put a little bit more of an onus on brands. Yes. To be transparent. And then, yeah, you have to kind of show up in other spaces to be like, you know, we're not the per- the perfect brand that you think we are. Sometimes we make mistakes too, whether it's you know, having shrimp or the way that we responded to that situation, which was not great. Which was not great. Uh-huh. I, that brings up a really interesting point now that I was sitting here thinking about it. <laughs> so I feel like I am seeing more of a rise in social media manager acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that behind the brand is a very real person that is doing this. Mm-hmm. Like the Duolingo owl. Yes. I think that there's a lot more onus on the fact that they exist and that they are human. And that is a good opportunity for brands to be able to lean into that personality a little bit more. Yes. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think a great example of it is, um, McDonald's comes to mind. So I think before they've kind of changed the way that they've been messaging and the way that they use social, especially on Twitter, I've seen it. Um, but before, you know, they'd post something and you would get, you get those responses from people that are like, Oh, you know, give whatever intern wrote this a raise. Okay. Well, that's not an intern. That's a very like, you know, specific role that people need to know how to deal with these things, PR issues, whatever it might be. And so now I think they're seeing things where it's like, um, I'm just a social media manager, but you know, this is what's happening. Or they, they kind of have that voice, which is really interesting because at the end of the day, people now understand that it's not Ronald who's writing this stuff. It's mm-hmm. who's ever behind the account that's seeing all these things, that's interacting with you every day, mm-hmm. that's getting your funny TikTok references and replying to you in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's what people like go crazy for. Yeah. Ugh. It's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves because with the idea that people are getting a little bit more exclusive and intentional with how they're using mm-hmm. their platforms, both from a, you know, productivity time, yes. close friends, yes, unfollowing, I think is, has really increased over the last yes. two years. So for brands to be able to break through and still be found on the feed, they have to move past the idea that every message is a sales message or everything yes. is perfectly crafted and curated and put more responsibility and trust in mm-hmm. their social media team. Yeah, completely. Because it's that community. At the end of the day, social media is a space to 
connect and speak with others. And then, you know, all this advertising and marketing and stuff came on top of it, which is great. And there's a great tool, but we're bringing it back to like, for example, that McDonald's reference I made, like the people who are following McDonald's, maybe they, you know, love to eat there all the time. Maybe they just like to see what they're posting on social, but at the end of the day, they want to feel like an actual person is speaking to them, Mm -hmm. not like a bot that's like, have a great day, winky face to every single person that messages them. They want something personalized. So what brands are crushing it online right now? Oh, that is another good question. (laughs) I'm full of them. I know you are. You are. (laughs) Um, One that I really enjoy is called Local Eclectic and it's a jewelry brand. And I just love their, I mean, it's more so for the retargeting rather than their community management, but that's just the first one that popped in my mind because I've recently bought from them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just, they always show up in the right spaces. They show me the things I want. Like they have a really beautiful feed. Um, I love that about them. I think that McDonald's, like, I mean, I brought that up because I've definitely seen a shift and I remember, you know, when I first started in social McDonald's was just like so perfect and just the Holy grail of like what a brand should be. Mm -hmm. And you know, just Ronald all the way. And then in comes Wendy's with this like zesty, you know, back talk and, you know, just engaging with people and literally roasting them. And now I see, you know, McDonald's is coming back and they're doing it in their own way still, but they have like these partnerships with, I think like bad bunny was one. So they're, and, um, gosh, I'm going to forget the name of that, like Korean boy band. I don't know. I literally was just at a karaoke bar last night singing to their music. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes, but I can't remember their name. Um, But they've had all of these like artist collaborations and they're announcing them on social. They're kind of taking on the voice of those people on social. And I think they're like creating kind of this. Now they also have this like secret meal of like how you can order things and make a chicken nugget double whop, not whopper, double, um, burger, whatever it might be. Don't be offensive. I know. I can't believe I just mixed those brands together. <laughs> if you Big can, Mac. if you can't tell I'm a vegetarian for the most part, so <laughs> <laughs> vegetarian tea drinker. Yes. <laughs> okay. BTS. Was that it? Blackpink? BTS. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Literally cannot keep up with the world. I know <laughs> it moves too fast. There's too much. Yes. There's too much to keep track of. Yes. Okay, but I'm going to flip that question on you now, and I want to know what brands you think are crushing it right now on social. Oh, my gosh. If I'm allowed to do that on your Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, so for, I mean, Duolingo. Yes. I literally re-downloaded it because of their TikTok. Mm-hmm. Like, I am obsessed. It's unhinged, but it's it is, great. It is unhinged. And there's something about that, too, historically, that has worked well, but it takes the right brand and it takes the right team. Mm-hmm. Like, because Wendy's, I would say started it a little bit yes but then pbr tried to do it did you see pbr yes oh and my that was a lord. big yikes oh my lord <laughs> okay i can't even say what they said so if you don't know the reference please look it up and please don't have your children around um not safe for work but goodness gracious when they when i saw that i was it that's the fine line though mm-hmm. and that is so important to know the difference because i think that people when they're thinking about getting into social media and becoming a social media manager, they are like, Oh yeah, I love Wendy's. I love, you know, Duolingo. I love how unhinged it is, but it's like, there actually is a very, it takes a very, very in tune person and team Mm -hmm. to be able to know exactly how far you can take that line. Yes. 
And if you take it too far, like PBR, it's a little hot mess. It's bad. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And my, I don't even know, honestly, if I would trust myself to do an unhinged social media approach. Because I think my humor is a little dark sometimes that I'm like, I can handle a lot. And I think that I need to have someone that can reel me in. If I go, like, I would be the person that could go too far if I really (laughs) tried to lean into that too much. And I would call that self-awareness. Yeah, you know? it's good. It's I, a good tool to have. I would have I would have someone with me to yes. make sure we didn't Bounce go too ideas. far. That's what approvals are for. That's what, yeah, collaboration is. Yes, exactly. But it's like so- solo, no way. But I do love what they're doing on social. Mm-hmm. I think Duolingo is absolutely crushing it. I'm trying to think of who else has been really interesting. Shay Mitchell yes. has a bag brand Mm -hmm. that I think they're doing a really good job with. That's a random one, but they've done from a targeting perspective, really good work, but then also their videos are very simple, demonstrative, like interesting enough and a quality enough product to where I've clicked in multiple times to be like, wait, I'm super curious about this. So I think that they've done a really good job. I think it's base B E I S or something. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Who else? It's funny you say that one though, because I think I like within the last three days, I've seen a diaper bag ad from them and I like watched it, even though I do not have a baby, (laughs) but I'm like, oh, Shay Mitchell's telling me how this bag is used and it looks so cute. And like, you don't see that a lot, even for like luxury bags. It's not like, you know, coaches coming out and saying, these are all these cool features of this bag. Cause for them, it wouldn't make sense. But for that brand, you're like, oh yeah, I do want to know what makes it different and why I should get this. Yeah. And it's done in such a way that is engaging, but informative and great. You're like, I am not with child, but I am watching this entire <laughs> yeah, exactly. diaper bag. I will engage. So but that's the yeah, same thing with fine. me. I'm like, it's almost soothing to me as yes. a consumer. I'm just like, ah, oh, peaceful. Everything has a place. Yes. It's organized. Yes. I love that. It's like ASMR, but visual. VSMR. I don't know what the acronym Something would be. Like that. <laughs> no, but I think they're doing a really good job. And then there's this app that I see, and I legitimately stop at every post I see from them. It tracks your sleep. Mm. And it has a recording feature. And the ads that they're using are people talking in their sleep. Oh, my God. And it is so funny to me that every time I see it, I'm like, I need to watch this. Yeah. Like, I need to see what they said. What are they saying now? <laughs> it's so embarrassing and it's hilarious. And I think that that in and of itself is like not, you know, the big cool brands or anything like that, but it's using user content in a really fun and unique way to capture attention. I remember Nest did something like similar to that years ago where they would have, or like maybe it was Google Home. I think it was Nest. Um, but they would show the videos inside the house of like just funny moments that happened. Or maybe it was the doorbell ring. I don't know. All these things now. Yeah. Um, but it was just funny because you see these like little snippets of what happened, whether it's like a bird that's flying by or like a funny moment a kid had or things like that. So it's cool to see when it's like a um, inherent feature of the program being used as social you know, generated content that way. And that's the best part because it's not this huge campaign. Yes. It's not something that is overly crafted or overly curated. And I think that coming from the advertising world, that was something that we, uh, I personally struggled with was that the big idea isn't always going to like land on social Mm -hmm. and the job of our job is to figure out how do we get it to land. But when you're working in the confines of a very large idea 
that's not social first, mm-hmm. you get put into a box a little bit. Yes. And sometimes it's really hard to break out of that. And so I think from brand management perspective, it's moving into that space where you're really embracing user content and repurposing it in a really unique and fun way is like, I'm really enjoying that yeah. for social. Mm-hmm. What do you think is a common misconception of social media managers? People expect you to know everything about every platform all the time. It's like you should have these updates that are ingrained in your brain. And (laughs) that doesn't always happen. Like there's a lot of education that goes into it. There's a lot of trying and failing that goes into it. There's a lot of, um, I mean, you are on social all the time, but you can't see everything all the time either. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that for me in my career, I had to kind of realize and, you know, be okay with of that okay, this is the point of having a team and working with others because you can't do all of it all at once for every platform, for every, you know, influencer you might follow. It's just too much content at the end of the day. So I think it's important to know, like, you have to prioritize your time. You have to prioritize, like, where you want to go in your career too of, like, do I want to do more strategy versus creative versus, you know, whatever else might be. Um, Because, I mean, you can... To a certain extent, you can have your cake and eat it too, but not the whole cake, maybe a slice or two. (laughs) I would agree. I think that it's really difficult to find a social media manager that is impeccable at every aspect of social media management. Because I think that people can be really great community managers, really great at responding, really great at customer service, really Mm -hmm. great at being available and attentive to users online, but then they might not be the best graphic designer but yes. then there's a graphic designer that's going to be amazing, but they may not necessarily be as interested in the big picture strategy. Mm-hmm. So I think that building a team and having that team dynamic is a lot stronger. Uh, but I think it's hard for brands that are trying to hire in-house and say, well, we just want a social media manager mm-hmm. and a social media director and a community manager. It's like, will that you're not, you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunity with that limited team, because you're not going to have that perspective Mm -hmm. to put all the onus on your social media manager to say, I need you to be a perfect example in every single category. And all of a sudden you're going to be editing short form video on your phone. Like you're missing an opportunity to do the best for the brand. Exactly. But I would agree with that. I think that another thing with social media managers that can come off as wrong sometimes is that people get into it and they're like, Oh, this is so cool. I'm posting on social media every day. And then after a few years, they're like, Whoa, I'm a little burnt out. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of a burn in The burnout is real. Yes. Talk more about that. Yes. So, I mean, I can speak from my experience. Um, you know, I like Hillary said, I got into social because I loved the aspect of creativity. I loved the aspect of what's relevant, what's happening now and just connecting with people. And, um, when you're, you know, building your career through that way and you're going from community manager to account manager to, you know, a strategic, um, content strategist or whatever it might be. Um, it's a lot of different areas of it that you're looking at, but then there's also, 
you know, like I said, a lot of updates to the platforms that are happening. You also are working with a lot of different clients sometimes. Um, and so to think about how you're jumping from one brain of, okay, we're brainstorming for Q4 of this year. And let's think about what may be happening at that time to now I'm shifting over to commenting to people that are having issues with customer service or whatever it might be to now I have to do an analytics report about what we've done for the last six months. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of different, you know, tools that you need to have and a lot of different mindsets. And then think about multiplying that for, you know, three to five brands, your brain goes a little crazy. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's, you know, very energizing in a lot of ways. And you get to see, oh my God, this cool idea for TikTok. Let's do it. Yeah. But it can be, you get to the point where you're like, I just, there's so many things that are going on that I have a tough time keeping up with it. So I myself kind of hit that point where I, you know, really loved the team, really loved what I was doing, but just, I could like, I was getting pulled in so many different directions and trying to, you know, manage team members, but then also manage clients, but then also think about new business ideas and how I'm continuing to grow, um, that you just get to the point where you're like, I, I just need to take a little break. And for myself, that's what I did about, you know, seven months ago. I just was working in agency world and got to the point where, you know, I need to, to kind of take a step back, go in a new direction, kind of try out some new things and also pay some other, um, pay attention to other areas of my life outside of just work because mm -hmm. social can be all consuming. It's, you know, 24 seven. Um, so that's a huge lesson. I think that most social media managers have to learn at some point in their life. What advice would you give to someone that was getting into social media management for the first time on how to navigate that burnout? Um, so think about what energizes you about that job and that role. So, you know, if you love reporting, I love looking at seeing what makes, what works and what doesn't then really advocate for yourself with your manager or with your team and say, Hey, this is what I'd love to kind of continue to grow because the more that you make that known, the more people will be like, Oh, great. You know, so-and-so wants to do this. Let's have them do it and try it and continue down that line. And maybe we'll take some of the other pieces that they don't love as much and allocate that to someone else. I think the other thing is think about the clients that you want to work with too. So for anyone that may be freelancing, think about what partners that you would love to work with and you love their feed and you just, you know, love working on them and then try to go after that. Cause I think for myself, I also, when I started freelancing, I was saying yes to everything. I'm like, yes, I'll, I can do that for you. I can do that for you too. And I was working on some brands that you know, maybe I wasn't super energized about or wasn't the best fit for me. And it's also okay to learn to say no to those things. So I think the biggest thing is, yeah, being an advocate for yourself and figuring out what makes you the happiest and then how to support yourself in that and also support the other areas of the job that needs to be done. Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the field over the next like five years or so, as far as people being better understanding about how much time it's taking and setting better boundaries for themselves, mm -hmm. especially fresh out of college. I think that you're super energized and excited and ready to go and yes. like roaring to do Raise everything. Raise your hand for everything. Yes. Yeah. You're like, hello, let's go. And I think that that's healthy to be able to get the exposure and really understand, you know, what it is out there that you can get interested in. But I would agree with you that the sooner that you can understand which path you're most passionate about and doubling down in that 
is going to allow for you to let go some of the tasks that are, uh, as you would say, emptying your cup a yes. little bit. Because <laughs> I'm like you, I burned out. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hit a wall where I was like, I am never logging on my phone again. Yeah. And if you've made your entire career on that, you have to push through and you have to come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Or you don't, you know, you can always pivot. <laughs> you can go do something else. Yeah. And I I think it's also important to know that, I mean, in any job, but social media, there's so many different, um, lessons that you learn along the way that can be applied to different positions or roles too. So, you know, if you really love community management and making sure that your, you know, um, brand doesn't get in the crossfire of a bad situation, then like PR is awesome too. Like there's so many different things that are connected Mm -hmm. that I think it's important to note that it's okay to grow beyond that if you want to, um, which at one point I thought maybe that was my like role, but now I'm kind of seeing, okay, no, I, I do love the social aspect. It's just the other pieces that I need to figure out of how you, you know, take those off your plate to make room for the things you really do enjoy or you excel at. Isn't that amazing how you can come back from your burnout? I mean, yeah, it's great. (laughs) You have a little bit of a breather. You get to reset, you get to do, you know, back to the basics. Yes. And then see it all over again. Yeah. As far as what it is I think, do. you know, I wouldn't recommend everyone to have a burnout, but I would recommend everyone to have that moment where you kind of pause, <laughs> reflect, and then, you know, figure out what's working, what's not. Yeah. Keep yourself from a crash and burnout. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we don't need that in our lives. No, no, no. All right. Last question for you. Mm-hmm. How do you think that social media for brands is going to evolve in the future? One thing that I'm seeing right now is a lot of brands are starting to partner with each other on different things. So whether it's a product that's coming out or like a cross collab in some sort of um, campaign, I think that's really interesting because again, it's that community aspect, right? Like I think social is a place where you want to connect and share ideas. And for the brand perspective for so long, it's like, Hey, we're the brand, we're the hero. We only talk about ourselves and maybe we'll ask our fans some questions sometimes, but I think it's also okay to see these brands have like relationships with each other too. For something like the Olympics, one thing that I've seen a lot more, um, this year is like, there's these Olympic partners that are influencers and kind of talking about what's going on, but like also putting their own spin on it and having fun and just like being excited for the Olympics. But if they also thought about how they were connecting with like, you know, Under Armour or Nike or some of these, um, Gatorade or some of the other like athletes, um, then I think there's a really interesting way to kind of show how they're playing together and kind of cross pollinate in that way too, that maybe before it was like, oh no, well, no one else can talk about the Olympics unless, you know, you're one of our specific partners. And I get, there's also, you know, a very good reason for that too, but I think it's interesting to see how things play together in that space. That's a super timely example. Yes, I know. It just came to mind because I'm like, I've been seeing some of that stuff. <laughs> I love that. No, it, that's true. That's, I think, a good example, too, of a brand that has had to break down their existing model of you have to be a official partner mm-hmm. in order to speak more loosely on it. Like, I think they had a very tight grip yes. on their partnerships that now, like you said, there's a little more leniency to getting involved with people that do have a bigger reach to get that social audience. Mm-hmm. So it's putting a little bit more onus on the, um, the stodgies, yeah. the stodgy brands. Yeah. One other example I have is, um, just for the Super Bowl. So I saw that like Lil Dicky had a go puff 
partnership where he was creating like a quarter time show for the Super Bowl. And that was really interesting because it's like nothing that's been done. The brand's getting in there. They're being relevant about, you know, the big game, even if they're not necessarily having, you know, a, a presence at the halftime show. So you're creating more moments to be relevant in that space mm-hmm. where I think it works well for that too. I love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Brands better stay relevant. You better get out there and push your boundaries and stop being stodgy. Yes. Okay. I'm here for it. Maddie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yes. Thank you for having me. All right. Where can people find you? Okay. So, um, you can find me at Maddie Lydon underscore on Instagram. That's M A D D I E L Y D O N. And then, um, my website is www.maddieliden.com. So I love to engage, love to talk with anyone. Feel free to reach out. Everyone go stalk her. Maddie, (laughs) thanks so much. Let's go get lunch. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there. This episode of The Social Complex was produced by You Lucky Dog Podcasts. Do you love recording your podcast, but the idea of mixing and editing makes you want to pull your hair out? Well, you're in luck. Whether you're just getting started or looking for help with an already established show, You Lucky Dog Podcast can help take your content to the next level. Put your show in the hands of experienced professionals so you can focus on creating and having fun. Visit youluckydogpodcast.com and book your podcast consultation today. That's youluckydogpodcast.com.